0: This episode of The Way Home Podcast is sponsored by Evangelicals for Life, January 18th through 20th in Washington, D.C. Visit evangelicals.life for more information. What does faithful Christian engagement look like in an increasingly skeptical and secularized world? You know, I asked this question of Gabe Lyons, the founder of Q, an organization dedicated to asking thoughtful questions and helping Christians think critically about the world. Gabe Lyons is a published author and much sought-after speaker. He's widely praised for the ability to bring together differing people and engaging in very robust conversations. We talked with Gabe about his latest project, Good Faith, how to be Christian when society thinks you're irrelevant and extreme. And I asked him if Christians are ready to live out the gospel in a world that may not receive it as positively as in previous generations, and about the importance of fighting and preserving religious liberty. I'm glad to have my friend Gabe Lyons here on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be with you, Dan. So I want to ask you a lot of questions, but first, if, let's say somebody was living under a rock and they did not know who Gabe lines is, or more importantly, what Q is. Can you explain, Q, what the mission is and kind of what, what y'all are doing?
1: Yeah, so Q stands for questions. That's our organization name. That's kind of our brand, but we do a lot of events, and we try to do things that bring Christian leaders together to help them really think well about what's happening in culture, really develop worldview and, and how mm-hmm. to approach a lot of the difficult conversations and issues that not only people in the church are facing, but our neighbors are facing, our kids are facing. And so we've created several forums and ways over the last really 13 years that bring leaders into the same room to engage some really difficult issues by hearing from experts, thought leaders, practitioners, people who are really working these things out at street level. Um, And then we ask them to consider what they're hearing, to learn, to go back into their local communities and start to be a part of Advancing Good. Uh, We really believe Q is a part of helping Christians really see themselves confidently as part of what God's plan is to renew and restore all things and specifically in in culture and in mm-hmm. the industries in which God's placed us uh, in our cities in our neighborhoods and so Q really represents probably just this broader conversation that's been happening for about a decade it's not widely known so people wouldn't have to hide under a rock not to know about it we haven't done a lot to just market it and push it out mm-hmm. it's probably been a pretty slow incremental growth thing very word of mouth of uh, leaders pulling other leaders in, and so so at an annual Q conference, for example, which we do in Nashville
0: mm-hmm. every
1: April, we'll have about eighteen hundred leaders come in, and and you've got presidents of colleges coming mm-hmm. and and major relief organizations and nonprofits, but you also have the heads of um, television studios and,
0: and architects civic leaders and, and-, and
1: yeah, people literally out in the middle of the mm-hmm. world who. See themselves sometimes alone, not knowing uh, where to go for this kind of resource and thinking, and so that's. I've really, I've always it.
0: enjoyed it, just because the quality of guests and people you get, experts, and the topics you're willing to broach. You know, not just the typical topics, which of course you talk about those, but even things that maybe people should be thinking about but aren't in terms of, you know, human flourishing and kind of the way our communities are, are, are structured and policies and things like that. What was the like inspiration for Q? I mean, what you know, what was going on in your life or what were some things yeah. that you were seeing that you said, I think this is something that's missing that the Christian community needs? Well, there was
1: probably two things that were catalysts for this. One was I was 27 when we first started all mm-hmm. this, and and I realized that most of my peers who were either in the church or had one point been in the church, or maybe they never considered church, basically 20-somethings were not interested in faith or religion mm-hmm. or specifically Christianity, that Christianity was a pretty negative idea to them. It had really become something that was no longer like what Jesus had intended. And so that was a huge wake-up call to me, realizing I'm here for some amount of years and I want to just be a part of helping, be a part of what God would want to do in a new generation. And, and one of the huge hang-ups through research and things that we started to realize was that a lot of people just didn't see Christianity as a serious faith. that that didn't really have real answers to everything we really encounter in life. It had Mm -hmm. had become really monopolized into just this transaction with Jesus that gets you to heaven. Mm -hmm. And so that might seem very basic today, but, man, 14 years ago in the church, not a lot of people were pushing into that, Mm -hmm. but young people were hungry for a more holistic understanding of Mm -hmm. our faith. And so that became a catalyst. And then Chuck Colson, who had been a mentor of mine, uh, first through his books and then later in person. It, it was transformational for me in reading his work, this central theme that came out that Christians are called to redeem entire cultures, not just mm. individuals. And I'd grown up in a Baptist church, Baptist environment. I heard a lot about saving souls and individual salvation, but not as much about this cultural redemption renewal part of God's plan for the world. And that just ignited something in me that I realized a lot of other 27-year-olds weren't hearing that either in mm-hmm. the evangelical circles, and that we should just be a part of helping them see how the breadth and beauty of the Christian faith that for 2,000 years was a part of how the Christian faith advanced mm-hmm. and developed so many amazing things that have, have created the the platform of Western civilization and, and so many things we enjoy and our world enjoys today. Um, but a lot of Christians, if you would have asked them, they'd say, no, Christians have had nothing to do with hospitals or mm-hmm. medicine or schooling or education. They, they had thought it just was about a transaction to get to heaven. And so we wanted to be a part of seeing a more holistic understanding of our faith develop.
0: It is interesting. If you study the history of the church, you know, uh, engagement in the culture with the culture... Creating culture—it's kind of ebbed and flowed in terms of there's been high points where Christians are creating things, meeting deep needs in the in society, and then there's kind of a sometimes a retreat sort of into our sort of Christian subcultures, and then kind of a going back out again into the world. You know, we're we're in a time now where there's a lot of discussion among evangelicals about like what does it mean to be evangelical? Is the term even redeemable anymore? There's a lot of um, distrust because of maybe some because of political engagement, identity with one party or the other. So, what what are you seeing in terms of evangelical engagement? You, ha- you have some people saying maybe we should kind of retreat and retrench and and rebuild co- uh, our key institutions so that we can have a, make a difference. Yeah. Some people are saying no, we need to be out there talking on justice issues. I mean, so so what are you seeing and what are you thinking <laughs> well, think about? It,
1: it, with so this? it is complex right now, and I, and I mm-hmm. think. I think it's all the things you just said. We need to be rebuilding our institutions. We need to double down on what it means to be the church, mm-hmm. um, what theology looks like. We need to be discipling our children all the way, middle school, high school, in a way that's way more intense and serious than we've been for the last many mm-hmm. years, when we've gotten really comfortable. And yes, we also need to be out there in every industry, every cultural front in our cities, being a part of advancing good and. You know, too many times we have the pendulum swing where it's one of those things Mm -hmm. gets very, very much the focus for a season, which I think is what you're referencing. And then it's like, no, we need to separate and pull back from culture. I think the the case we've tried to make since we began Q15 years ago was that we as Christians don't have the option to back away from the world. Like, that's just not something that God's granted us the uh, ability to make that call. He's called Mm -hmm. us into the world to be salt and light, to show up in the darkness, to be provoked, not offended by all the things that we see going wrong in the world. We should just expect it and show up and be a part of how he would want to renew that situation. But you can only do that from a place of strength. You can only Mm -hmm. do that from an institution of strength, from a church of strength, from discipleship that's rooted you and grounded you. And if you have that base, then sure, you can go out and and engage. I think too often now, we see Christians engaging uh, the world, but they don't have the rooting. And so mm-hmm. out of great intentions and a lot of passion and love, they want to show up and and care and, and support people and affirm people. And yet without this rooting, uh, they actually don't know if they're really offering anything that's helping that person or mm-hmm. not. Because if you don't know what truth is and you don't know... How God's designed this world, how the enemy and Satan has broken this world and sin, then it's hard to actually help people. And so I think that's where we need the roots in order to mm-hmm. engage. We've got to do both. And in certain seasons, you'll see different voices sort
0: of promote one thing or the other. Different callings, right? Yeah, that's right. There's, there's. A... That's one thing I've really enjoyed about about Q is that you have sort of empowered people in different callings of life. So someone might have a calling as an artist. And so that's sort of their calling to to reflect the creator by what they create. Other people have a calling in terms of civic leadership, being a mayor of a city or you know other people might have callings in other places. And so that idea of calling is really central to it as well, right?
1: That's right. And and that each person, God looks at all of those callings and says, those are all good. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, growing up for me, and I think, thankfully, this is becoming much more outdated thinking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, being a pastor or a missionary or working at a Yeah, those are like the varsity the, level, right? Yeah. And then you have sort of... That's first class, and yeah. and everybody else is there to support that, show up at church, give their money. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, that thought now, as I talk to college students, as as, as I'm out there mm-hmm. with the youngest Christians, I'm seeing that's no longer the thought. They understand mm-hmm. God's called them into the world, they, that, that their passions and talents are all part of what He's wired them with to do something unique in the world, mm-hmm. and so let's celebrate it. And so, yeah, through Q, we really do try to highlight and show how people, you know, from technology, to bioethics, to fashion, you know, have Mm -hmm. been called into these places. And if they do it with the right, we call it a restorer perspective, Mm -hmm. that they're partnering with God to renew and restore things that are broken, when they do it in that way, with that posture, with the right posture, it's amazing the impact they make on people's lives that ultimately can come to know Jesus through that testimony and that impact, but also in the actual cultural stream God's put them.
0: And it seems like you know one of the things you said earlier about y- you kind of need to n- do it from a position of strength, and uh, it seems like there's a temptation to enter these spheres and sort of diminish our distinctly Christian witness, but actually it's more effective when we come to the table and say, I'm here talking about whatever, this human dignity issues or poverty or, or whatever... Because of my Christian theology, not in spite of it, but because of it, right?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know, 15 years ago, I remember one of our first gatherings. A a friend that came to that just saying, "Look, I'm I'm in the hedge fund industry. I refuse to call myself a Christian. Mm. If I call myself a Christian, I'm uninvited to the meetings. I'm looked at with skepticism. Mm -hmm. I'm looked at as unintelligent, anti-intellectual. That I don't have the chops for this Mm -hmm. job." That was 15 years ago. I th- I think there's a new conversation now amongst Christians, recognizing, again, as we gain confidence and understand God's called us to these places, we don't need to be ashamed of the fact that faith mm-hmm. motivates our lives. If it's truly holistic and we're living out the gospel and the good news in every area of our life, we want people to know that, and it's okay. And, and maybe you don't lead with that in every conversation, mm-hmm. but you're certainly not ashamed of it. And I think people are feeling the need to be a little more bold, to... Mm-hmm. Be comfortable with their witness because guess what? Our neighbors are asking the same questions. They're struggling with life. They don't feel good about the answers that they're hearing from media or Mm -hmm. from the narratives they're seeing in television, film, music all the time. They're looking for substantive people with, with something they've based their life on. And so if you're a Christian, you have something substantive to offer to people. It's not that you're just going to be annoying, as maybe you might imagine. You'd be annoying to mm-hmm. talk about your faith. It actually has something to bring because it should be good news to whoever we're talking to. And I think um, I hope we'll see in younger people an increased desire to talk about it. But to your earlier question, there is a brand that surrounds evangelicals and Christianity mm-hmm. that's been become so politicized and and has become in the media space, especially very marginalized. That I find a lot of young people are ashamed. We, we know that 47% of millennials from our last book uh, with David Kinnaman called mm-hmm. Good Faith, mm-hmm. we know that 47% of millennials are afraid to speak up about their faith, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's 60%, almost 6 out of 10 millennials um, right now feel like they're marginalized because of their faith. So because of some of those atmospheric conditions you're finding younger people not offering their point of view in the conversation with friends um, mm-hmm. because they they know it could cost them socially, and they're just not sure if it's worth that cost. And, and I think it really points back to us and to the church and to our us as parents as we're raising kids to go, how do we raise children who can have confidence that the scriptures and that the Christian faith and the gospel has something to offer to people and to help them have that courage and boldness to, to speak up.
0: I, I want to press in on a couple of those things. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned your book, because one of the things that it seems that we're confronted with now is maybe a culture and society that is less favorable to the Christian faith. I mean, yeah, I don't want to say post-Christian as if, you know, everyone was Christians in a previous era, which we know is not the case. But there, there is increasing pressures on, on Orthodox Christian faith— and so how do you talk to Christians about what it looks like to, to live in a, a pluralistic society, to advocate for a pluralistic society, particularly when maybe we come from a, a way of thinking of, of America as a Christian nation, and, and now we're, we're saying, actually, we're just arguing for you know space for people to believe what they believe and live it out. Uh, so so, what are some things you're seeing and, and thinking about uh, along those lines? Yeah,
1: well, I think the idea of freedom of speech and freedom of association and religious freedom, like some of those topics the last few years have become much more prevalent to discuss amongst Christians because things have shifted. And, and you know, it was just a decade ago that uh, many American Christians would have said, this nation's a Christian nation, mm-hmm. use that kind of language. And, and even if you believe that or don't believe it, the fact is today when you look at it, you recognize that no longer arguing from that point of view is gonna help you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And that the fact is the founders of this country created a pluralistic environment where freedom of faith was going to be a part of it. And for a long time we as Christians had a, a big leg up for for centuries yeah. on other faiths. But now that's changing and other faiths are having a foothold and and capturing people's imagination. So my my thoughts for people who I speak to and, and try to encourage is this is an incredible opportunity. Like this the best ideas win. Okay. Mm-hmm. The best ideas are gonna win if you can communicate them, if you can communicate a coherent, cogent way of of thinking mm-hmm. about faith to people because they are curious and they are hungry. We've just gotten a little bit lazy in how we yeah. share it. We've gotten really comfortable assuming people want to hear what we have to say or memorizing answers to questions people no longer are asking. And so it actually is going to take some reinvigorated people and discipleship to to know how to do this in relationship with people who are going to be cynical and skeptical. So that's a totally new environment. And so I think, you know, through conversations like this, hopefully through mm-hmm. Q, some of the books that we've been able to write, and there's several other great authors and people we try to promote through Q, and I know you mm-hmm. do as well, who are really trying to think well about this um, because it's going to take that as we look at a new generation and how we prepare them. For that kind of an environment,
0: I think one of the things that is new, maybe not for younger generations of Christians, but maybe for other generations, uh, is the idea of, um, you know, living in community with and alongside people that we profoundly disagree with. I mean, I don't think it's just a problem with Christians. I just think as a society we're really wrestling with that. What does it look like to live with people that we that believe differently than us that That maybe have different backgrounds, you know. Our communities are diversifying, changing, which I, you know, I think is a good thing. But perhaps sometimes maybe Christians might feel threatened by the fact that, you know, it everyone around them is not Christian anymore, or at least professing Christians. And so, how do we, as leaders and pastors, really coach people and prepare them to live in a world where you may not be in the majority as as a faithful Bible-believing Christian.
1: Yeah, well, that's definitely becoming more the norm, and I know how we've been thinking about it the last couple of years is helping churches think about the ways the church historically has always operated Mm -hmm. in any society, whether it was maybe in a powerful position as maybe in American Christianity the church was 50 years ago, or when it's been in some of its weakest uh, Mm -hmm. positions in a society. Um, We talk about them as the six practices that the church has always done no matter where she sat, and that those are practices of faithfulness that we need to really understand again, relearn. And there are things like embracing the context, understanding God's put us in this moment for a reason and and embrace it. Don't fight it. Try to understand it and try to be faithful in it. But then you also have to know your confession, know what you believe, Mm. because then that's what you have to offer to your friends, to the conversations. But it's not enough to do that without having spiritual formation happening. So one of the practices the church has always done is we we put ourselves into habits, into communities, into schools that help form us and form our minds and form our hearts and shape the way in which we're going to live our lives through our friendships and accountability. The, the fourth is that we always insist on human dignity, mm-hmm. which is a great thing. I mean, in this society today, people, nobody fights that, that, that you're right. a person that cares about human dignity we know that so much of the justice thinking and, and so many of the mm-hmm. breakthroughs we've ever seen in justice have come from Christians leading that mm-hmm. with Scripture as a basis for that. And then fifth, we got to engage our communities and extend hospitality. The church throughout history mm-hmm. was known for being hospitable, for being the place that opened its doors into our homes and took care of people. Uh, and then finally, to reimagine our vocations. How, how does our work really advance good, not just for ourselves or for Christians, but for all people. And when we kind of recover some of these things, I think that gives us the strength, this basis, this confidence that, hey, this is how the church has operated and and been faithful for Mm 2,000 years. We're just having to kind of set it into a new context right now and relearn. And, And if we're open to that, I think there's pretty good things that can come from it. We've got to be able to do the Word of God, not just speak the truth. That we must unapologetically testify that God values all life, from the unborn to the disabled to the dying. If God
0: values it, we value it. What does it really mean to be pro life? You know, all around us, it seems like the world is on fire. There are refugees and orphans who are in desperate need of care. There's a foster care system that seems like it's overloaded. There's natural disasters and wars. And there's evils like abortion and racism and white supremacy. What does it look like for the people of God to move into those spaces and to speak up for life? If fear is keeping you from loving people who are different from you, then fear is keeping you from God. We'd like you to join us in Washington, D.C. this January 18th through 20th for our annual evangelicals for life event that we co-host with focus on the family this two-day event will feature very compelling speakers like russell moore jenny yang from world relief johnny erickson tata rich stearns jim daly and of course the music of shane and shane i think you'll enjoy coming not just to be equipped to be a champion for life in your community using your gifts in whatever area god calls you but also to meet with other Champions for Life, and then there'll be a special opportunity to participate in the March for Life, where thousands of people from around the country make their voice heard in Washington, D.C., and stand up for the sanctity of human life. So will you join us for Evangelicals for Life, January 18th through the 20th, and use the coupon code WAYHOME for a 20% discount.
1: These children are not burdens. These children bear the image of God and are blessings.
0: Gabe, I want to ask you just a couple more questions before we finish, but one I want to ask you, um, as you think about evangelicals and their place in society, particularly Western societies and particularly America, are there things that concern you about the, the church right now that keep you up at night, and then are there things that um, uh, encourage you uh, about what you're saying in terms of where the church is?
1: Yeah, so... I would say the things that keep me up at night and concerns are kind of the fog that has come over the leadership in the American, American church. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't speak to, to other Mm -hmm. continents or nations, but, you know, there's been such a fascination over the last couple of decades with doing church for ourselves and just creating, Mm -hmm. you know, these mega church world and, and, you know, putting a lot of emphasis on performance and, and, in, in environments that really fed a consumer kind of an appetite, that I think we've grown now to a point to where there's a fog over what to do. Our people don't care about this anymore. They're mm-hmm. not interested in the kind of things we're we're doing. They also don't understand some of the basic teachings that we're starting to put out to them that are critical for their own discipleship. They react negatively because they've never heard, this kind of serious talk in a church. And so their reaction is to go, wow, I didn't know our church cared that much about this issue Mm -hmm. or this topic as pastors start to speak out. And one of the points in our research showed that almost 80% of pastors had some feelings of fear and concern to speak to some of the most difficult issues and topics in our society today. That could be life, sexuality, Mm -hmm. um, you know, euthanasia, you know, race... Mm -hmm. Because they're concerned they're going to say something wrong that's going to offend the people in their church, and they don't want to lose people, right, because that's sort of the thing that's counted and and rewarded, and so they've they've not been as confident in that. And at the same point, when we look at the people attending church, almost 80% of practicing Christians say, we wish our pastor would talk to us more about these topics. We don't know Mm -hmm. how to talk to our friends about it. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to engage these issues and so the sense of just missing one another that that pastors don't realize their people are so hungry for this and then the people are so hungry for it they don't know where to get it so we've got to we've got to correct that we need pastors to be bold to speak truth to teach scripture to get back to these basics the thing i'm encouraged about though is when i do look at the next generation i look at the 20 somethings the college students and i see the love that they have for their friends their neighbors their communities the the mm-hmm. way in which they start almost with the outward uh, profession, and then they work backwards into, well, now, I don't know exactly why I do this or how I believe it or where this is based in Scripture, but I'm sure it's there somewhere. We have a lot of work to do to to ground and root that in some cases, but there's, there's a general uh, sentiment of we care about the world. We care about the other. We're not just concerned with our own community or just Christians, um, and you can't really teach that. That's just something that's happening because they're growing up in a new world. Or they haven't had the comforts that maybe I grew up in of the subculture. Mm-hmm. And so it's forcing us to really think through what engagement looks like. And so I think because it's forcing it, it's, it's causing people to ask much better questions. It's causing churches to really be on their, their, their toes, and especially in these urban areas and places, mm-hmm. college campuses, places where there is this mix of ideas happening at a faster rate sometimes than maybe we experience in the South. I think I'm seeing a new energy for evangelism and for outreach
0: mm-hmm.
1: that feels like it's been dormant for the last couple of decades.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think when, whenever we're with some of the young church planters, for instance, that are saying, yeah, I want to go to these big cities with deep problems and I want to go you know, plant churches and really live out the gospel there, we're kind of seeing that same same attitude, that same motivation, which is really encouraging. I guess my last question would be just, you know, if you could give a word to um, pastors and teachers and people of influence, parents, you know, as they try to equip people for the next generation, it seems like there's a sense, uh, as you said, that there's a fear a little bit to talk about some of these issues, but obviously, you know, people's minds are going to be formed in some way, so it's better that it's scripture and not you know, talk radio or pundits or internet or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you could give a word of encouragement, a word of advice on how to equip the next generation, uh, both to be courageous and live out their faith, but also civility too, in terms of, you know, uh, loving people who disagree with us, what what kind of word would you give?
1: I would say we've got to focus on the one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three kind of relationships. And this is where the discipleship is gonna happen. It's Mm -hmm. gonna happen in the living room, conversations over dinner in the car with your children. I have teenagers now and and these conversations are happening daily and they're great because I know I'm helping them think through stuff that you know I didn't have to think about when I was their age. Um, and even if I did, my parents weren't really having to to prepare me as much as I need to prepare my children today mm-hmm. and so it's forcing great conversations I think to teachers. You know, people in Christian institutions, Christian schools and colleges and, and the church, my encouragement would be to own the fact that we are Christian. Let's not be ashamed of that. Let's mm-hmm. not step back from that. I'm not suggesting pastors are doing that, but I want to encourage them and put courage in them. That's what encourage means, put courage in them. Mm. That in this moment, we in the church need to own what we believe. It is good news. And it's not just because we need to protect ourselves or protect the church but our neighbors are dying for this they're hungry for it they're they're coming up empty in every other place they're trying to find solutions trying to find answers and we actually have something to offer them but it only happens through a loving relationship not often through just a podcast or a great teaching it's going to come through a lot of one-on-one building a friendship and relationship and so Not to be overwhelmed, I would encourage anybody listening, don't be overwhelmed by the size and magnitude of of the sense that the Christian faith is maybe stalling or it's not moving the way maybe you thought it would, but understand God's always working. Revival historically has happened when cultures look the way our culture looks Mm. and when the church looks the way the church looks. That's actually prime time for God to move and the faithfulness of our prayers, our belief that He will move, that He can move but then our own confession and repentance of sin and and ability to just in a small way, start to practice that faithfulness. I think God's looking for that. I think he's looking to and fro for people who are living those kinds of lives. We know he wants to move. And so let's just have our hands open and say, work through the institutions and things we're creating through Q, through this podcast, Mm -hmm. through all the opportunities we have as Christians, as connected in the church, um, to see what he wants to do in the world, move forward and let's support one
0: another as it happens. That's a great word to end on. Thanks, Gabe, for, for joining us. And I want to encourage everybody listening to check out Q. If you have not, if it's uh, here in Nashville or through simulcast, I think you, you guys do, and in cities around the country. And then check out your book, uh, Good Faith, which really, I think, is an important book. It talks about uh, religious liberty and living out the faith uh, in a pluralistic society. So thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.